back to the intros again. Hello back. to you, beautiful souls. You it's a little bit too loud. Almost 2,000, 1,780 something, I think, last time we checked. And growing. hi yeah. I think that's important to just mention. You guys no. are amazing. No, don't mention. But because YouTube is so invasive in your privacy, we see our analytics, and most of you are not actually subscribed, but are listening. Is that true, or are you just memeing like what other YouTube Bruh, people say? It doesn't matter. Don't expose. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. So just push the bell. Just click the press like. subscribe. It'll really <laughs> click help Click the us dislikes. Out. We won't be able to tell anymore. Yeah, hit the dislikes, but you know what? Subscribe and comment. <laughs> comment is a big one now. So we're we're putting this out there, and you you can put a little bit out there to us, and we'll have this do this it. this I don't even know what to call it, but this relationship where we don't know you, but you know us. It's odd. We have comments. We'll yeah. know you a little bit. This was a fucking amazing episode. <laughs> big time with Doctor Andrew Ferber. We'll be trying to get him on for six months. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's our fault. <laughs> we had him, and we had technical difficulties, and the day of we had to cancel. So, he, but he was super cool about it. But yeah. like you'll see in the podcast, he is like so cool. He's so chill. He's so like not. I don't know how to explain it. Like he's the psychotherapist you envision when you go into psychotherapy. He's a, yeah. So he's a psychiatrist. He has educations. Is I don't know what to say, but like he's he credentials up to the roof, probably. Yeah, he. Yeah. I mean, the guy. I don't even want to say met Osho. The guy, like the guy, spent time with Osho. Years. Knew Ramdas. Yeah. Uh, spent a good yeah what uh to to like almost almost like more more t uh, decades with uh one of Osho's uh students disciples. I don't know what yeah. to call him. That he, uh, without blinking, said was also enlightened. Like, you know, we, we talked about that too. Like, what does that word even mean? But like, you know, like, people, some people got vibes. Yeah. Is that supposed to be plugged in? That red thing? No, or it's all good. Okay. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's an embodiment of of what we talk about on this podcast. <laughs> you know? Literally. And yeah, he's doing great work yeah. with, the, with ketamine therapy and he's, yes, he's the way he advocates it. And we know him through Charles Patty. He was on our podcast once or twice, maybe just, just once, just once. So far. Great yeah. podcast as well. We should have checked the number actually. That was a good one. Yeah. Well, so they're in Florida and they're doing ketamine assisted therapy and the results speak for itself. Apparently it's phenomenal and it's really helping people. And you can just hear from the way this guy carries himself and talks about himself and talks of himself and his work that it's working whatever they're doing over there there is a shift and it's exciting to see and in some sense be a part of bikes helping them get the message out but we won't say too much more but you guys listen to this episode you're gonna love it do you know the number yeah the charles patty one was number 68 68 yeah so so yeah if you're not uh check that one out after or before yeah but uh if you're not Caleb, go back and check it out. If you're <laughs> <laughs> we should just drop his name at the end of every <laughs> intro at this point. And Thanks, man. We appreciate the support. <coughs> and uh, we love your love. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Do the likes, share, subscribe. Do it all. Anybody who isn't Caleb, also enjoy. No, and, fuck uh, you. <laughs> 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 all right, everyone. Peace and love and joy. Stay curious. Wow, 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 wow. Curious, curious, curious. What's up, beautiful people? I'm Nathaniel Pearl. And I'm Sam Sheva. And welcome to Curious Chimps Podcast, a show where we explore the infinite complexities of the human experience.
We do not endorse anything illegal. So please, consult the doctors, do your research, and for the love of all that is holy, be safe. All right, let's talk about drugs. Curious, 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 curious. I guess we'll just start, man. So, you, thanks for joining us, Doc, Mr. Doctor Ferber, uh, Chi Chi, as you as you said. Um, I would love to get into the the background of that name. Uh, I didn't know you were like a Swami, so that's really fascinating. Um, so, I, I, that's I, I have a little bit of background in, in yoga. I I was trained in the Shivananda lineage, uh, so I I definitely want to get into that at some point. But if you if you would uh, be so kind as to just introduce yourself, you know, you can, in short or in long, just explain your, your background and, uh, and what you're doing and all that good stuff. Are you ready? Ready, set, go. Ready. Yeah. Ready as we'll ever be. I'm Bodhi the Cheetah, man. Yes. I am what I am what I am. <laughs> Whatever you see is your dream of me. Wake up and see what we have. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm 87 years old. I've been a shrink for 63 years. I've been a sannyasin, a disciple of Osho, since 1976. So I've been a meditator for 50 years. I've lived in ashrams in the Himalayas and at the ranch in Oregon for over 20 years. I've been in 47 countries, healed people, and taught meditation on five continents. I'm not enlightened, perhaps, but I'm a very wise old fart. I still am the chief medical officer in two different clinics, one of which I think is as good as any ketamine clinic anywhere. I know you guys are into psychedelics. I had my first acid trip when I was a medical student in 1957. Oh, wow. Damn. <laughs> good stuff. But, yeah, that's the good stuff. <laughs> it, it was at the New York Psychiatric Institute. And Sandoz had sent this stuff over saying, you guys check it out. We're not sure what it does. So <laughs> they would put us in the room and surround us with staff and pay us money. Wow. And I remember I took this little glass of stuff and I said, hey, nothing's happening. And then about 15 minutes later, I looked down at my leg and there was something on the pants. I said, go away, it flew away. I said, oh, wow, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> then they gave me a machine to line up to see how good my depth perception was, where you grab two handles and make the two things get me. And before I knew it, I was flying a fighter plane in World War II. <laughs> okay. That's and, awesome. you know, I, and it was weird that when I was actually on the trip, uh, I didn't, it all seemed real. And yet there was something watching it that knew that the part of me that knew it was real knew i also knew it wasn't real hmm. like the guys 
who were in the room with me would all turn into my grandfather. Literally, their faces would morph immediately, hmm. except for this one gay Irish American nurse who turned into a leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't get upset about any of this. It was, you know, that's just how, that was what was happening. And at the depth of it, there was me and my mother in a little round boat in a lake. And there was beautiful woods all around, but no other people. The only way out of the lake was through two streams, which I could control by either stuffing up my nose or letting my nose run. <laughs> And I realized later that that's, that's me in the womb. Mm -hmm. And that my whole life has been looking to recreate that energy. <laughs> wow. So that, um, that's my first trip story. <laughs> you, you remember it so clearly. Like, do you have a good memory or did it just like really imprint itself? It's like, was this LSD as well? Like, what was the substance? Yeah, it was okay. LSD. It's uh, it's in such detail. Like, uh, is this is this something you've kind of recalled slowly over time since it happened, or did it just kind of was it just so vivid and so kind of clear in your mind ever since? I don't know. It's always <laughs> been clear. Uh, I don't have a cluttered memory. It's like I remember critical events, mm -hmm. and they're like a metaphor or a summation of lots of little pieces. And I don't bother remembering the details. Hmm. Um, well, that's did, a good life hack for integration. Yeah. Just kind of focusing on what, what's being given to you brightly and the rest just kind of falls away. But I want to ask you after this LSD experience, how did that shift your perspective of life and your practice and your direction? Did it inspire you to, to change a direction or change course or have a different intention? I don't know. Hmm. Two of my best friends also did it. You know, the guys in medical school with me. And I could see from their trips kind of an essential feature of their character that they hadn't quite seen here. You know, one of them was really frightened by it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I... I've always, since I was about four, is my earliest memory of it, been trying to figure it all out. My dad was a urologist. He was a second generation American, only child. And he said to me, Andy, I don't know what it's all about. I'm just imitating the other guys to get by. If you ever figure it out, let me know. <laughs> and he protected me from people trying to hypnotize me, telling me what's right and wrong and stuff like that. So my whole life, I've been trying to figure it out. Yeah. And that's why I went into psychiatry, because back in the 60s, psychoanalysis was where everybody thought it was at. I had eight years of five times a week psychoanalysis with the head of the training committee, 
of the New York Cyclone. Her name was Ruth Loveland, too. Really lovely woman, great name. It helped a little bit. Uh, by the time, I, late 60s, uh, I had already gotten disillusioned with straight culture, and I was the youngest associate professor in my medical school. Hmm. I started being a early hippie. Uh, started smoking marijuana around 1967. Uh, my first rock concert was at Fillmore East hmm. with Santana and Dr. John. And, uh, you know, I could just kept seeing that there was more and more that I didn't understand. He, he might not put this shirt on. No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Oh, please. By the time I was in my mid 30s, uh, 1972, the limits to growth came out. You know what the limits to growth is? I'm not familiar. No. no. The limits to growth was a study commissioned by the Club of Rome, 100 leading European intellectuals and businessmen. They got Jay Forrester and the best computer scientists at MIT to do a projection of what's going to happen to mankind in the next couple hundred years. And what the limits to growth said was if mankind doesn't go from an expanding to a steady state species by the year 2000, which means the population growth has got to level out, the use of non-renewable resources has got to level out the amount of pollution and climate crap that we produce has got to level out. The use of arable land, which we're using in a way that ruins it so you can't grow any more food on it. If we don't come to a steady state conscious balance thing, we go into overshoot and collapse mode, which means hundreds of millions, possibly billions of people are going to die horrible deaths while we fight with each other for the few remaining resources. Hmm. Well, this upset me. <laughs> I bought 500 copies of the book. I gave it to every intelligent person I knew. And by that time, I knew Nobel Prize winners and other professors and all this. Then I got really upset because 90% of them blew it off. They said, what do computers know? Hmm. They didn't get it. Hmm. Just last year, a woman at Harvard and another one at Yale did a rerun of the original data and said that the predictions feeding in contemporary data, if anything, were too conservative, that things are going downhill possibly slightly faster than the original predictions. And that we have maybe 10 years to either figure it out how to do it so that it's balanced and in charge, or if we leave it up to the natural forces, we're really screwed. Hmm. Anyhow, that was the turning point in my life. Uh, that I saw I didn't want this kind of world for my children and my grandchildren and everybody else. 
I started really getting into meditation. And I went into a retreat for two weeks and I wrote my own version of this called Balancing Man on Finite Earth, where it came to me that the only solution is to become more conscious. We need a more conscious humanity that the way the world is fucked up is because of how much we're still all killer monkeys. Hmm. We're not just curious chimps. We follow the chimp rules of our gang has got one leader and he can fuck everybody he wants. And then there are other ones who have to be in their pecking order. And our gang of chimps owns this part of the forest. Hmm. And if we make ourselves strong enough, then we can push away the other chimps, kill their males, take their stuff, and enslave their females and children. And that's the last 5,000 years of human history. And possibly the... It's, it's since we stopped being matriarchal little societies where nobody knew who the father was. Everybody was an uncle because everybody made love to everybody else. But once you get the patriarchal, hierarchical, male-dominant societies coming in where we own private property and we own the women and the big guy who never he's ever seen delegates the power to a few old white men who run the gang. That's the old man. That's what every society, whether it's Indian or Chinese or Western, has been doing for the past 5,000 years. Hmm. And is still this, we have to change or we're going to perish. So yeah. that, that was a big turning point in my life to realize that. Yeah. And when I got to look into the different enlightened guys, Osho was clearest, where he said, change has got to be person by person. We got to do it first. That led me to become a disciple in 1976. My first meeting with him, I looked at him, he looked at me. I felt like I'd known him forever. I burst into tears and laughter. I crawled across the floor, I touched his but he said, come closer, Bodhicitta, touch the other foot. I've been waiting for you. He touches me on the forehead. And they're like three explosions of light inside my being. And I knew in an instant that everything I thought I was was like a postage stamp on this huge envelope. That whatever I thought was love was a cup full in the ocean. And it was all over forever. Mm. Mm. I looked up at him, he says, how long are you here for? I said, my family, the government of India, state of New York, won't think four weeks. But if you've got any other ideas, let me know, I'll take care of the details. He laughs, he says, now neither the state, nor the government, nor the family have any control over you. You're serving a higher power. Then he says, have you done any groups in the West? I said, I did all the groups in the West. He laughed again. He said, anybody who's connected with therapy, psychoanalysis, gestalt, the group movement, is doing my work. All of that awakens a thirst 
that only I can satisfy. And I said, I love you so much. And he said, eat me, drink me, breathe me, nourish yourself. You're part of my family. So I haven't looked back for a second in 46 years since then. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's intense, man. Like the, there's, I've heard little stories here and there similarly, and I, I, it's, it's such a powerful experience. It's something that anyone who's listening, even half listening to something like that, they yearn for something similar, mm. you know, to, to be clarified so much, to be distilled in, in, in an instant and to, and to be so sure of where to go next, you know, like that's amazing. And I'm, I'm happy for you because it, it just like, you know, we admire the work you're doing now and it's cool to hear kind of the seeds, you know, like where, where it all came from. So that's really amazing. I wonder, um, so when, like when you had that, um, that LSD trip in med school, it was kind of like this, this planting of a seed for like you were, you were, you were talking, you were alluding to it. Like you, it's kind of like the first time you met the observer in a way or felt the observer like that effect, you know, that meditative experience of kind of having that space between the experience and the experiencer, or maybe a kind of no space, a kind of realizing the melding and you're this kind of third thing, however you want to interpret it, you know, like, like you said, <laughs> none of us are enlightened here. I've seen at least 20,000 patients and followed a few thousand other sannyasins because I've not got that kind of head. And I've come to realize that you can conceptualize the forces that make us do what we do in three big bugs. The first one is your biology, your animal nature that you can't deny. And every traditional society and religion tries to suppress and channel the animal nature that can't be ignored. The second big bag is what you could call psychosocial influences. Uh, the whole dream hypnosis that every society has that they call reality. Like you look back 500 years where the dream of reality was the Catholic church's version of heaven and hell and there were witches and everybody believed that stuff. Went to public stonings, uh, witch trials, things like that. If you go back 5,000 years, the belief was when you died, you went someplace and you could, if you were rich enough, you took your wife and your servants and your horses. So you killed them all when you died, put them in the pyramid because we're all going to go someplace, right? 
the more you look at the dream of another society, you say, wow, that's fucking crazy. But every society has got this hypnosis. The one that we're in currently is called science and rationality. Hmm. So the, the essence of that is that if you can't put a label on it and you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like uh, overcompensating the other way, you know, we're, we, we talk about history like, oh, those idiots. And then we're just kind of trying so hard to grab onto this material and we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So the third big set of forces is the combination of the unknown and the unknowable, the mystery of what actually is. And this is what has always drawn people into psychedelics and authentic religious search. That there's something in everybody that knows there's more to it than I've been taught mm -hmm. or told to believe. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that that's been my gift and curse is that <laughs> There's something in me that I've always trusted that says, go there, but forget about that. Mm -hmm. I almost, for instance, I got kicked out of uh, Hebrew school when I was 12 because I locked the teacher out of the door and said, I'm not letting you in here until you stop lying to us. <laughs> they didn't appreciate it. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've been getting in trouble for doing essentially that bringing truth to power mm. my whole life bringing truth <laughs> to power it's uh, like I, I may, it makes me think of how you're you were talking about your father earlier and it's yeah. like it was instilled in you in a way like we've talked about it a lot on the podcast in the past but like in a lot of ways you were your own master you know you're always looking for the answers in a in a kind of honest and experienced way even though you're talking about that kind of that void or that abyss that is like kind of maybe even beyond experience but that sounds like braggadocious you know but like the truth is that it makes you so humble to be like i'm just gonna learn i'm actually gonna learn you're not learning necessarily through a book or through a teacher those things are very powerful facilitators but you're always you always know there's more like you said you always know you're being lied to it's all you always smell the walls of the of the the story you know the the box and you're trying to think outside the box as it were so i i really i really resonate with you when you say it's like a gift and a curse because you're always finding new answers and you always feel like you're growing but you always see the edge move out further and further every time you get new information and any new answer like spawns 15 new questions you know so you you realize it's infinite and then that accepting that becomes the game okay so you're, you're you're still stuck with the classic jewish mind that there's answers mm. uh, i come from you know my father's people were born i think it's the region where ukraine and Poland are together where it was 
the Hasid Jews were and stuff like that. They came over around 1890. And the, they didn't talk about it, so, but I learned about it from Isaac Beshevis Singer. Did you ever hear him? No. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1978. And he talked about, he, he was born in that part of the pale oh, yeah. and he emigrated to America in 1940 or 39. His brother brought him over to avoid Hitler and all his heroes embody this searching young Hasid who knows that the ancient tradition has got some wisdom in it but the baggage of all the habits make it impossible. Hmm. On the other hand, what is called reality in contemporary society, whether it was American or European, is clearly insane. <laughs> so all his heroes are asking, what's it all about? How do I find it? it his, the two books I enjoyed the most, one is called The Family Moscat, which characterizes takes you through two generations from the, to Warsaw all the way up to World War II to America. And then Shadows on the Hudson, which is set on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where I grew up in the 40s. Hmm. And it, you know, he just, there's something in this that keeps looking. But the main Jewish problem is we have to put labels on everything. That the original sin is eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, which is the mind. It means you gotta figure it out. You gotta make a theory out of it. And that's why we produce Marx and Einstein and Freud yeah. and why people hate us and kill us every place because we keep trying to figure it out and put labels on it. Mm. And what I finally learned in my meditation is that, uh, relax, dude. Yeah. If there's anything to know, it'll come to you. You can't figure it out. Exactly. And trying to figure it out and think about it and make a different set of hypotheses in your head is the problem after a certain point. <laughs> it's, that's the common... <laughs> <laughs> But that's the common realization when someone has a breakthrough psychedelic experience is that there is no more labels and categories and and boxes to put and contain this in. And it's really just this state of presence and bliss and just this greater understanding, but without understanding, but without intellectualizing it. It's just a knowing. And that's why I think the psychedelic experience is so powerful for for the people of, of this time specifically, because we're so caught up in that muscle of that egoic mind labeling and figuring everything out and trying to categorize everything. So we kind of need like this removal in a sense. And just to show you, hey, like your realization, just dude, relax. It's right there, you know? And that's why I see the power in psychedelic therapy and medicine is because it really, it does that, you know? Mm. It, it really, it starts to put you on the path of, that greater understanding of, of knowing the unknowing, the knowing of nothing, you know, <laughs> it's hard, it's, there's no words for it, but it's that feeling. 
that yeah. kind of u-turn you know like yeah. it's like it was always you it was you all along yeah. like you're digging for the diamond but the sh it's the shovel that you wanted like that whole inverted 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 until there's nothing left like it's just here now here now i've i've had the privilege and blessing to be with a lot of really interesting people one of them was ramdas hmm. he came to my house back in the early 70s and we talked and stuff do you remember his book, Be Here Now? Mm -hmm. The essence of what he says in there is I went on all the trips you could imagine. I've taken everything I could find. And when I came down, I was the same old schmuck. So <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest realization. <laughs> and that's what brought him to India to search out Neem Karoli Baba his guru now fast forward to now the root cause of all suffering is identification what that means is that you act as if you are your thoughts impulses feelings and stuff So what does it mean when the Buddha says from the very beginning, all beings are Buddhas, that we're all enlightened already? What's getting in the way? What does this identification mean? Well, it, all animals, it's not a quick fix because all animals have an idea of self. As soon as you can see a creature, even if it's a fish or a bird, and especially a mammal, it knows I'm me and that's my mommy and you're my species and we're the same flock or tribe or herd uh, and those are not us. So we can either eat them or run away from them because they'll eat us, you know. Like, mm. so the idea of self is hardwired so deeply biologically that you can't just say, oh, I'll get rid of the idea. It's only by allowing this vast knowing without an object to happen. You can't do it. And this is where the people I know in psychedelics and psychotherapy, every place is stuck, is they want to do it mm -hmm. rather than relax and let it happen and realize you can't do it, that you're doing itself is the problem. Yeah, I had a friend once, he said, it sounds like you're trying to put a key in the hole, you know, like to enlightenment. And then as soon as you turn the key, you realize there's no door. You know, like it's, it's like you just, you just feel like an idiot. <laughs> and it, it, sounds it sounds like exactly what you're describing. It's like, there, there's we're using the ego to try to bypass the ego you know we have this self-preservation yeah. this sense of self and it becomes this like you said it's biologically hardwired we have like a psychic proprioception almost like it's 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 we need it mm. and all this intellectualization just seems to act as like a way to blow your mind and psychedelics any kind of cacophony you know like these like crazy conversations connecting with people especially people like Osho or Ramdas who 
are just kind of vibing. They almost become like coaches. You know, it's like, look what's, look what's possible. You know, I've broken my brain. I'm insane now. Like, and look how functional and happy I am. Or, or look at the, the, the presence I have, the thing I can give you. It, start, it starts feeding. It almost starts overfeeding the intellect. And the intellect explodes. <laughs> and then you're just left with the experience. And call it questions or answers, but you're left with the experience, which is all there is, all, all there ever was. So what came to me crystallized just yesterday in preparation for this was some new words on these eternal teachings that we have active blocks that prevent us from being one with this enormous river of love and energy that's always there. The active blocks are ideas, our thoughts. The very concept of self that we were talking about, it's not what we usually talk about our ideas are really second level ideas about ideas, but it's these primitive identifications that one has to let go of. Like depression is an idea that the organism has that what I need to survive isn't around. So I have to block the flow of love through me, the flow of energy. Everybody who isn't enlightened is more or less depressed. What's called normal is about 50%. (laughs) And what I love about ketamine and my work as a ketamine therapist is that in some way it allows temporarily to unblock your active blocking of the flow of love. So almost every patient reports that they love themselves more, they allow others to love themselves more, and they let go of trauma memories, which are another active block to the flow of the mysterious love. And ketamine is, at least from what I can see, different than psilocybin, LSD, that class of drugs, or MDMA in this particular property of temporarily unblocking your active blocking. And you feel this more love because the energy that you're using to make the block is all of a sudden available to you. It's more of a dynamic model than a mechanical one. It's not that a block is something that you remove like a a door, but it's more like the energy is being used to not let something that wants to happen, happen. And when you stop that, then it starts to happen. And the energy that you were using to stop it also comes. Hmm. So I try and urge every patient and everybody I've ever done trips with to learn to meditate, that whatever your trip is, it's a movie in your own mind. And if you get identified with it, you're going to get stuck there. Whether you think you're Jesus or an extraterrestrial, it doesn't matter. That's just a new set of thoughts. 
if you just watch it, it'll self-correct. The more you can relax and watch it, you move on. I love that. It'll the more it'll self-correct. Like I really yeah. feel what you're feeling. Like just even in a simple meditation practice, the less you touch it, the more it just gives you what you need. It, the more it just kind of morphs into, and I don't even know what I'm talking about, like it, you know? And I wonder if like, I don't understand it like pharmacologically or, or, or neurologically, but like, it sounds like it's a chemical version of relax, dude. Like you said before, it's like, you know, it's just, it's shutting down. Like, it's like you said, it's not as mechanical, like removing of blockages, but it's more like that energy needs to go somewhere else. So it's like kind of, uh, instantaneously like sublimated into the things where, like wherever it needs to go. And that sounds amazing. Like I've tried a lot of different drugs. I've tried ketamine as well, but not in a therapeutic setting or even kind of, I would say ceremonial setting. I definitely didn't know much about meditation at the time. And you're making me kind of want to revisit it. It sounds uh, like medicine, you know, it sounds like it can be very powerful. The mysterious ocean or river of energy that we call the enlightened beings is always available. So it's opening oneself up to let the sun shine in. It's not that you have to do it or get it. Mm. Now, what this has to do with what you just said, you know, in the classic literature, they talk about set and setting. Mm -hmm. When you put that a little more powerfully, the oldest human profession is the priest healer. Somebody who has a ceremony with you to allow this mysterious divine force to heal and transform you. That's the context within which all psychedelic medicine and all psychedelics originated. Every society was looking for substances to facilitate the mysterious communion between the priest healer and the seeker. Uh, if you just go off by yourself and you, you only want to have a trip, that's pretty much what you get because that was your set. That was your intention. Mm. If you want deep down to transform and expand, that's a very different set. The setting means what's the energy of the situation. Now, they in our current materialist model, we ignore that it's not how much your doctor or your priest or your healer knows what rituals they do or what medicine they give you. It's how evolved their being is that sets the limit on how much energy can come to heal us in this communion. And yet everybody, every kid knows how big a being, how much love, how vast a person they're with. Yeah. So I would urge your friends, my friends, whoever's listening, to trust your gut. If you're with somebody who feels good to be healed by them or to trip with them, good. If it doesn't feel right, 
get out of there. Yes. No matter how many credentials or diplomas or whatever the being has got, if you can't fake what you are. And this is what I try and teach everybody that each of us is in charge of our life. And the more authentic you are, the more you tune in to what's right for me now, mm -hmm. the more you trust it, the more you empower yourself, the better it'll go. We've been brought up not to trust ourselves, to follow rules. And now it's really confusing because there's so many different sets of rules and so many people who say they're the authority that your head is full of, you know, my mother said this, my father said this, the rabbi said this, the priest said that, Dr. Oz said that, the politician said that. We don't, you, you can't think your way through it anymore. <laughs> and that's a good thing. <laughs> and that's a good, this brings me back to your your, your point about meditation and I, I told this to Sam I said this on the podcast before but um, I've been doing ayahuasca ceremonies for quite some time now and then I, about two years into my practice with ayahuasca I did my first vipassana the 10 day silent retreat for meditation and the realization I had after that was just how to become that vessel of receiving without interrupting or grabbing or, you know, making it mine, just allowing it to flow through with that equanimous um, mind that knowing whatever's coming is going and I don't need to touch it. And after that, my ayahuasca experiences have radically changed to the point where I felt like it was like a prerequisite that learning to meditate should be step one before going into the psychedelic space is it would be so much more valuable for you to carry it forward and to, to grasp deeper understanding as if you're able to create that space for the experience to just play out, like you were saying, and not try to intervene and say, and identify and pull and try to bring something back, but allow it to go through. I wanted to ask you is if someone's coming to you for a ketamine therapy uh, treatment, do you, do you encourage the meditation beforehand or is, is it something that you use more as an integrative part for after the experiences? I would make it clear to everybody. Meditation is 24 seven. Mm. It's a way of living. All the practices are to help you relax and allow it. And the two practices I share with everybody, though I make it clear these are not the only ones, but they got a 2000 year track is to be aware of your breath all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. You forget hundreds of thousands of times. That means you've gotten re-identified with the thoughts or whatever's going on. Be aware of your breath all the time. That's like the radar that's bringing the plane into the fog. And the top end of the practice is to remember that every thought, every feeling, every concept is a movie in my mind called me, that each one of us is making this incredible movie in real time. If you can watch that movie like you're the audience, 
And we've all had so much experience these days of being an audience between the television and the movies and stuff like that. Just flip into audience mode. That's the essence of all techniques of meditation for the last 10,000 years. That you're the watcher, the witness, and not the object. And you can't do it harder, either one of these things. They're both let goes. They're both relaxations. <laughs> that's really well said. Like, I feel like that's the that's the essence of uh, of bad trips, sort of, you know, like in life or in, in psychedelics, like this you can't do it harder. Like you're you're trying, you're forcing it. You're like, oh no, I need to meh, I need to not feel this or I need to think on my way out of that. And it uh for me personally, because I feel my mind can be incessant, you know, and I literally just like it's like a treadmill and I get exhausted and then I I'm forced essentially to be in that that space that you're talking about and I'm just lucky I'm glad that I have some idea about uh you know Buddhism or yoga or something and I have these again intellectualizations but you know keys to that door that was never there so to speak you know you get these ideas oh yeah the sorry his dog is just uh weeping for some reason and uh I mean it's however you get there who cares you know like Wim Hof says like I don't care if you breathe through your mouth or your nose just breathe motherfucker like just let it in <laughs> and, and it's I love that attitude because it's like the you know it's like that whole, it's that it's like a means to an end way of thinking it's like all roads lead to Rome you know however you want to put it yeah. Yeah. and uh it's 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 difficult sometimes to well i mean it's always difficult it's like you said you know it's like it's like a curse and a gift but uh, it's the fact that it's 24 7 like you said you know like when when you go a little bit deeper into things like yoga and they start talking about taking your practice off the mat you know even uh, neem karuli baba like i think i'm thinking of the right person he was pretty famously like not uh health like physically healthy you know like he didn't care about doing asana or something like he was just a like a nyani, like he was very deep into the philosophy and nothing else really mattered. I'm not sure. I don't, I didn't, I don't know much about him, but it's just, it's never what you, it's never what you think it looks like. It's always what you need in the moment and however you are able to let go, that's how you get there. And it just is after, you know, like it's just, it was always there. I'm at a point where I hear all the enlightened teachers saying the same thing mm. with slightly different language mm -hmm. yes and it came to me a few months ago i have three little videos on youtube called five stars for being here now which is answering the question of what should i do now how to answer any question that anybody has got for themselves how to get out of your head into your horror and get the answer to the question. Should I smoke this joint? Should I go out with this girl? Should I move to California? Should I kill myself? No matter how big or how small a question, you know, there's a wisdom in you that knows. So then the question is, how do you get to your own inner wisdom? I don't want to It's a great... <laughs> You know, there are three nine-minute videos. There's the actual practice explanations, 
and a deeper look mm. because they're, they're really tricky. They, they embody the practices of all major traditions in a five minute piece. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to think about it, you just do it. I'll, I'll show you. The first one is remember who you are, not labels, but just embody yourself. The second one is to be aware of your breath going down to the root. Just be aware of the breath. The third one is in the left side of the heart. Feel that you're one with everything, that you're just a wave in this vast network of energies, this vast ocean of existence. You're a node, just a wave in it. The fourth one on the right side of the heart is to remember that everything that you experience, you're not it. You're that which is aware of the experience. But if you can be aware of a piece of it, that's not you. That's still experience, but not the. And then the fifth star, you put your attention in your horror and you ask yourself any question. Do it now. Go into your horror and ask yourself any question. So that's it. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> yeah. And the, the tricky part of that, the first is the whole Advaita Ramana Maharshi Muji tradition of who am I? Mm. Embody yourself. The second one, being aware of the breath, is the whole tantric tradition of being the witness of whatever practice you're doing. The one of being one with everything, the fourth, third star, is the path of love. Hmm. That God is within me and without me. That I am one with existence. Hmm. The fourth star on the right side is the path of meditation essential Buddhism, the path of negativity, neti neti, that whatever you know, that's not it. And by that time, you're more or less present, you get out in the horror, and this is the mystery. It somehow tunes in on the flow of energy through you and gives you the right answer. It's that same thing that uh, the Omiyora by digital O-ring or classic Ayurvedic or Chinese medicine, they're all tapping the flow of energy through a person. And that looking in the horror somehow does that too. It's, yeah. Thank you for letting me share that with you guys and with the other listeners. Thank you, man. I think, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> I think they're going to take something very valuable from that. And we did. I, I did. So thank you. Yeah, I guess it depends what you asked as well, but the uh, technique itself is so familiar. I had know. I had no question. Yeah, <laughs> you just you were just. I was just it. space. I was just trying to. I wasn't even. There was just nothing arise, so I just allowed it. That's nice. I I really did see a lot of. I I really did feel familiar. That like some like this grounding at the beginning, but it, there's some. It's it's such a genius, rapid step of like, 
grounding, being in your body. Who are you without all the labels? Who are you really? What are you almost? And then immediately after that, like you said, kind of grounding, like establishing that you're everything and that you're nothing. Because the nothing without the everything can be nihilistic and the everything without the nothing can be an abyss. You know, it can be like directionless or too passive. So again, I don't want to chew on it all intellectually, but it's just my, it's just my way. And I really see like it's, it's, um, it cuts quick and cuts deep to this intuition. And then if you're just listening, it reminds me of like when people say flip a coin, you know, and then you know what you wanted for real, no matter what the coin says, you know, like it's just a trick to kind of force your intuition. Now that the choice is made, what choice did you really want? It's that same feeling of like, I just know, but shut it all down first, you know, get like unwind, 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 and then ask the question. And, and like the answer just kind of was, was there before you finished thinking about it. Yeah. I am, man. That's uh, <laughs> a I, lot. It's a lot in a small package. But this is, this brings me into the therapeutic setting because I'm sure you, well, you've 20,000 patients, you've seen it all, but how do you incorporate this these deep understandings in um, someone who's never tapped into these kind of these doors or open these doors and then they come to you somewhat broken. Uh, I guess my question is before, I guess like then through the screening, how do you know how to approach someone, whether they're ready for ketamine or obviously it's a decision that they feel that arises, but like, what's like the, the uh, step-by-step process and how to get to, to get someone through these kind of experiences? There's what I call intention is prior to thought that everybody has authentic intentions. And I ask people, how'd you get the idea? How did it come to you to take care of me? And during the story, there's almost always, like 98% of the time, a moment where they go and they make a gesture that brings out energy from the heart. I can feel a lot of energies where I know they're authentic. I'm not interested in the story. I'm interested in whether there's an authentic intention. Yeah. I make it clear to everybody when they come in, my understanding is that you're in charge of your life. And we're here to give you whatever tools we can to share with you so that you can fulfill your own just destiny. You're not a broken machine that we're fixing mm. or a dumb animal. You know, the doctor doesn't know best. I'm here to help you find the knowing that you know best. Mm. And my genius is I'm able to put in plain language that fits whoever is in front of me, the understanding. Almost everybody gets it. Uh, have you ever heard of Sadhguru? Yes. Mm -hmm. He had an interview with London Real, where he said, the biggest movement in the world is people realizing they're in charge of their own life, that they're not here to follow orders. Mm -hmm. And he estimated that at least a quarter of humanity was at the point where they have empowered themselves to be in charge of their life. 
if you look back, it started with the Renaissance and it's picked up steam with the end of colonialism, the end of slavery, women's liberation. You know, all of the movements in the world where people are saying, hey, I'm as important and authentic a human being as you are, are living on this deep empowerment to the individual. So it's tuning into that. Then I have the dialogue with them about how do you know what's best for you? I give everybody the five stars. Most people look at it and put it away. Hmm. It's been a great mystery to me why some people pick up meditation and really go as fast as they can with it. And others, my sister has been bringing the same problems to me for 45 years. Hmm. And I haven't been able to get her into meditation. Hmm. And yet she's grown in her own little ways that some of the things we're talking about, about empowering, about trusting, you know, people get it each in their own way. Hmm. So I've learned not to push people. Uh, I lived in the commune in the Himalayas for about, with the same people from 1986 to 2007, with the same 30 people with an enlightened teacher who was Osho's personal secretary, this guy, Yoga Chinmaya. And I saw how slowly all of us changed. And how the change isn't that you change a different personality or habits, but there's something that you're a much more relaxed version of yourself. You don't take yourself so seriously anymore. You're more loving. Uh, you're more there. So it, that has helped me be very patient with people uh, rather than I'm available. I'm not pushing you. <laughs> Hmm. So, Essentially, you're you're holding space for them to come to the realization of their true intention, and it's it's not really interjecting. It's suggesting avenues where they can bring their their ideas and thoughts through, but you're really just offering them that platform to express and to heal through understanding themselves. Because we help, like you were saying, we all have that deep wisdom. And I think that muscle, that, that recognition of that deep wisdom is so clouded by everything. You know, what our parents say, what our... What our you know, it's called yeah. our society. You know, yes. like, it's, it's really... <laughs> <laughs> but the, it's persistent. There's a, our facilitator for ayahuasca, he says it's, it's a lot of it is really just about undoing, undoing the conditioned mind and yeah. removing these... Yeah these entanglements, these knots in our, in our psyche that are kind of not blinding us, but like distracting us from that deep wisdom, that deep knowing that we keep talking about. And I, for all the listeners, that deep knowing, there's no label to give it. So we're just knowing is the closest thing I think we could speak of it, but it's just that wisdom, that internal wisdom and removing these patterns and conditions allow us to be a lot more, to have a clear message of that. And I think that's a beautiful role that you play is as a facilitator, as a psychotherapist, is just to empower your patient or whoever's in front of you to come to that realization, you know? Yeah. It's empowering for sure. 
And, and that, that facilitator, he's one of those people that you mentioned a hundred percent, you know, like he has such a space for people that no matter how afraid I am of the ceremony or the, the, the medicine or anything, it's all me. It's all, it all, it bounces around and always comes back to me. He absorbs none of it or he absorbs all of it. I don't know how to express it, you know? And he's like, when you say that, that forgetting, you know, that unlearning, I've heard that a million times, especially through like Buddhism. I really understood it once I met that guy because he seems like so pure. There's something so innocent and so empty, but he's also so present and so intelligent. He's also just, there's like a flow about him. And it just seems like so much is not arising in him that he ends up being so capable in the present, in the moment. He's so versatile and adaptive and useful and calm and happy and um, whatever you need, I guess, whatever is, whatever is uh, called for in the moment. And, and it's, um, it's uh, inspiring mm. to meet people like that. And I think that comes to your point where you were saying like you can have all the credentials, you can have this, this, and this, but if that that sense of feeling with your facilitator is not there, that vibe is not there, like you can't like you can't learn authenticity or fake authenticity. Like that's that's a language I don't even know what language it is, but you can recognize instantly someone's authentic or not. It's just like this sixth sense we all have, and for some it's so powerful, and for others it's just like a little gut feeling that they may have ignored but it's there for all of us. And when you recognize that in someone, the medicine or whatever you're experiencing is going to just be tenfold because that trust that those doors are both open. The channel is there. And you know, if, if it's not a pure channel, if there's not an authentic or real facilitator, it's going to muddy your experience and potentially cause more harm. Yeah. I can feel you and I'm right with you. Hmm. <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> I uh, well we, we want to respect your time I don't know if Nate said like you know about an hour an hour and a half it's already been about an hour 20 I think or an hour 10 do you have a bit more time I and mean, we could just uh, jazz a bit more about uh, some random things about your life whatever you guys I'm here to respond I, I don't have any agenda but go ahead oh, awesome I, I'm Personally, I'm just curious. I mean, you're a fascinating individual. You know, we've been talking about the kind of lack of self. Uh, so I feel, I feel almost silly coming back to, uh, to the the 3D, if you will. But uh, I just, I, I'm curious about. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, first of all, it's fascinating that you ha that you spend time with uh, with Osho. Spend time is not even the right word. Like you really took him in, and and he took you in, and in, in a lot of ways, and. Um, I guess like there's we would need a whole other podcast probably to get into all of that but i am curious like um let me give you one thing please this fellow swami chinmaya who was enlightened his personal secretary i lived with him for like you know from 86 till he left the body in 2019 i was with him he said 20 years ago osho is as available today as he was when he was in the body, as both an energy and a moment-to-moment -moment guiding intelligence. And I've been looking into that mystery 
what is it? It's, you know, it's not this old guy with long white hair and fabulous clothes, but what is it that's available for all of us, for anybody who's open to it? And for all seekers, it's, who knows what the beings and forces in the universe are that are trying to help us? It's our authentic letting go, surrender and opening that allows it to come in and help us find our unique, each person's got a unique path. Mm -hmm. And the times are changing, like Dylan said, man. It was a lot more effort 50 years ago to get into this stuff, whereas now, Nobody knows what's real anymore. Mm -hmm. The ideas of what the past meant and what the future is going to be, everybody's fucked up. I mean, the whole trucker thing mm. is an example of how widespread the anxiety about where it's going and where what's right is about. Mm. So it's easier to change now, to relax and tune in to the mysterious guidance than it's ever been. Such a powerful point. Because our facilitator, our facilitator we keep referring back to is I, I was talking to him not long ago and he said like in these moments right now with such everything so on the table and in front of you, it is the perfect opportunity to achieve a, a high state of mind because it's all exposed. It's all in front of you. All these anxieties and stresses, all these are bubbled to the surface. And if you sit and observe it offers you a great opportunity to real, really heal some deep, some deep stuff and to um, just see things for what they really are. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Please finish your thought. Uh, I forgot my thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you, kind of, you kind of fed into what I was saying, though, like, and this as well, you know, like there's, there's kind of this raw energy to existence itself and people like Osho, Sadhguru and Ramdas, they're smart enough or aware enough to say, I'm always going to be here. Say my name and, and you'll feel my presence, you know, if that's, if that's what you need to call it, but you don't need that. It's everywhere. It's all the time, you know, and, and there is a, a kind of collective ketamine trip going on right now for a lot of people where things are being unblocked or blocked so hard sometimes that you can't help but notice it and that might be just as good sometimes to do the work you know to to see the the to see you know wh where the energy can go what the energy is you know when when Sadhguru says say my name you know and, and I'll be there for you I don't need to be there physically uh, or, or like you said about Osho like it not only tells you I mean, if you can test it out, you can feel it for yourself, you know, you can have that, that presence, use the five stars if you have to, and really just go into that knowing, but it lets you know, I mean, it gives you a gift in, 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 in understanding what, what is possible, um, but not just for them and, you know, for the enlightened ones or whatever, or taking or having a trip and meeting the Buddha or Jesus, like you said, or thinking you are these people. It's knowing, it's like, what am I capable of? What, what is my presence made of that it will linger when the body is gone? What was it before? What is it after? And what is it now? What am I now? 
in this kind of ever presentness, you know, and it, it's intoxicating. It's, mm -hmm. It gets really, it swirls, you know, and it, it can be dizzying. And I mean, it's, it's hard to come off it at that point. You know, I'm like I said, I'm curious about like your time with Osho. You know, there was this uh, documentary on Netflix. And as someone who was personally like there at that time, like I would be curious, I'd be curious to know your impressions and stuff. But it sounds like you're just, I don't know. Like I, I it, it almost feels pointless to ask at this point because as far as you're concerned, he's here with you now, you know? So is, is there a... Um, I, I guess, yeah, like what, what, um, what, let me ask you something then. What bothers you? Do you feel, uh, <laughs> does anything bug you? Does anything get to you at this point? You know, in, in your wisdom, in your age, in your teachings, in your, in your quote unquote enlightenment at this point, like, like, like what, what, what drives you? What brings you to the next thing? Are there other substances like ketamine? Do you just do what's in front of you? Are you just kind of, marching through the the isness of life like i had covid last august and it was a fantastic meditation retreat i was <laughs> flat on my ass for two weeks uh, yeah. i lost 20 pounds i was didn't see anybody i wasn't interested and it like i dropped a whole different level inside. And one of the things that came to me was the world is perfect. Evolution is happening in just the right way. You've spent your whole life with the idea that it's broken and you got to fix it. You can stop that now. If there's anything for you to do, you'll get the message in the moment and you'll do it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's been simple. So, <laughs> things just come to me. Like, I didn't do any preparation in particular for this interview. Mm -hmm. uh, I, yesterday, I saw these very, about a seven or eight depressed people of one sort or another in my practice three of them were ketamine intakes and the other were medical marijuana recertifications and such and everybody was suffering from one kind of depression or another they were lonely they had chronic pain this that and i came home and somehow i had gotten in synchrony too much with their pain. But I did my 10 Tibetans, these exercises I do at the end of each day. And it processed what came and I had a clarity about what depression and blocking our energy is that I've been thinking about for 50 years. It all of a sudden came together in time to share with you guys now. Mm. I have no idea how these synchronies in existence work. I know I'm not doing them. I just sometimes happy, sometimes blue. Glad that I read into you. 
I'm a stranger and I'm only passing through. I, I forget whose song that was, but it, I'm an old 60s guy. Yeah. And the punchlines always come to me as songs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I got music in my head all the time and it, it's, it, it, it lends itself to synchronicity, you know? These people spend hours writing, trying to write the right song and then it just it just adds as a catalyst for some good ideas for you like 30 years later or something. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was involved with a group doing research in the late 1960s, early 70s at Bronx State Hospital where we looked at human communication from an ethological standpoint. Like, how do these creatures really behave? If we're from another planet, how do we understand? So we took movies at 96 frames a second, and we looked at them many times. And what we found is people beat synchronously 46 beats a second when they're in communion with each other. Uh, if you take two psychotherapy sessions of the same family with the same therapist, five weeks apart, and you put them on two screens, the major postural shifts and changes of who's speaking, who isn't, are identical five weeks apart. Mm, wow. That the essential human communication is an energetic, synchronous communion. And then the words and thoughts are the frosting on the cake. But we've never been able to get this really published because it so blows the current top-down understanding of what we're about. What it says is all animal communication, including people, is first and primarily a synchrony of mysterious energies. We can see the results of this synchrony. We can't see the energies. We have no idea what they are. If you're authentic, and this is really before I got into meditation, blew my mind. So I've come to, if you trust yourself, if you be authentic with yourself, use the tools we talked about today or whatever other tools you come up with, mm. you've got it. You just have to let yourself be aware of what you got. You don't have to strive so much for it. You have to relax, let go, and allow what you already know to become conscious. Amen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Okay, so let's Thank go you. for that. <laughs> How old are you guys? Sorry. How old are you guys? I'm twenty nine. I'm thirty three, actually. Yeah. You're losing your hair a little already. Don't say this. <laughs> You look older than 29. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely wise beyond his years. Well, you both are. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And that's part of how the times are changing. To I got grandchildren hmm. who are, let's see, Corey's now 11 and Milo is nine. And these kids are so wise hmm. and so creative in ways that, I know I wasn't, or their parents weren't. 
back then. Um, so it, 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 I really feel that the times are changing. And if you can just relax and tune into it, it'll let us know what to do. Yeah. And I think conversations like these and beautiful souls like yourself and the treasures you have to offer everyone, I think it helps in that shift. And, you know, someone who listens to this episode and just gets inspired or just gains some understanding, that's what we can all do as servants to this truth, you know, is to help push it forward is just by having these conversations and, and being authentic and, and harnessing that inner wisdom in any form and just sharing it. Because I think a big factor of the growth and the the next stage forward is is about sharing about giving and you know and receiving but when you learn these deeper understandings or recognize it you can't help but want to share it's just it's not yours to contain so it's really i'm really like grateful and appreciative that we just had this beautiful conversation with you and we were connected through charles and to to hear you is just such an honor thank you one last thing that's really important to be aware of. There is, I've come to see that if you make eye contact and allow the energy communion, even thousands of miles away, mm. there's a psychic communion between us. That what the internet is doing to people is or making available is so beyond the official thinking about it. I can do energy. I, you know, I can feel human energy. So I, I used to feel people with PTSD have got a fire over their head. People who are depressed, they got a dead spot here. ADHD's got a dead spot here. Stuff like that. Mm. So with the COVID thing, I had to do some remote stuff. And I found that if I have somebody run their hand over their head in South America or Europe, I can feel it the same way as if they're right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that tells me that we're all making psychic communions with each other, even if we're unaware of it. Mm -hmm. So these kind of podcasts and the Facebooking and Skyping and all that we're doing, don't underestimate the potential of how much authentic communion is available with it. It's not just the words. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a maybe like a, a materialistic way to usher in people who might resist those those feelings to share that energy. That's real, you know. Even if that even if this wasn't there, but it's so much easier with it, especially for people who are used to it. And then you then it opens your heart. It opens you to that experience, you know. And uh, I mean, it's coming, man. It's mm. it seems it's just it's coming. You know, it's it's growing. More and more people are talking like this, and Absolutely. it's it's exciting. Yeah, like we, I just it's like magic. It's like it's yeah. we don't know what it is because it's like so old that it's new again. But I I feel it now, and I feel it with a lot of people, with everyone I've spoken to, and I that intellectual wants it to be practical and I want, you know, like I want to learn some technique or something, I, but I'm just trying to, I'm going to take your advice as well as I can and just kind of go with that flow. But you were saying something, I'm sorry. I was just saying, we've been saying that since podcast episode one, 
that there's a shift and it's more present now than back then. And it's not even that long ago, you know, two years ago, we were started this thing and fast forward to today, as crazy as the environment's getting and turn and the way people's anxieties are rising, mm. there's a huge shift happening and it's so prevalent and obvious to see now. I don't know where it's heading, but I know there's something. So relax and observe. <laughs> it all sorts itself out. Last advertisement for Osho. His main method, mm. in his own words, is listening to his discourses. All the other methods are for the people who can't listen. You can listen to all 4,000 of his discourses free on OshoWorld.com. Hmm. Oh, wow. Shit. I didn't know that, actually. That's amazing. Very nice. <laughs> I'll put a link and I'll check that out. Yeah, that's <laughs> weekend plans. <laughs> the, the, of those 4,000, the ones that he always wanted translated first into any language is the series called Tantra, the Supreme Understanding, which is his discourses on Tilopa's Song of Mahamudra where he goes into that identification is the root cause of all suffering. Mm. And that manifesting, how to put it, what do you say exactly? Embodiment without hope is the supreme accomplishment. That just being here and enjoying the moment without hoping for anything else or worrying about something else. Because every thought is a two-sided coin. Every hope has got a fear. Mm -hmm. Every desire has got an expectation that you're not going to get it. Yes. And he goes into the whole depth of the whole trip in these 10 discourses time for the supreme understanding thank yeah. you so much guys i really enjoyed this oh, likewise a, yo. so beautiful yeah i'm happy you're happy yeah that's that's uh, uh, uh like please come back uh, yes. it'd be really fun to talk to you again okay and we'd like at some point i'd love to come down to florida and see you guys and meet you in the real physical reality even though this is still physical reality, just <laughs> one step closer. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much again. You're welcome. Thank you. Knock it forever. Chi Chi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>